Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Robert Downey Jr. made Iron Man. I, I, that was, I was mystified by the success of that. I was like, there's no way Iron Man is going to be a hit because he's got a metal thing in front of his face. Like yeah, right. Yeah. It's literally an unexpressive you know, panel in front of his face. And they, you know, God bless John Favreau. He did an amazing job of that. But God bless Robert Downey. Like he made that Tony Stark. It wasn't about Iron Man. It was about Tony Stark. And they figured that out. And and he, you know, obviously knocked it out of the park and, and has been duly remunerated for that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 28 of The Fourth Wall. I'm, of course, your host, Griffin Schiller, and this is the show where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as we get an inside look through our conversations with industry professionals ranging from directors, actors, writers, you name it. This show is, of course, part of the Playlist Podcast Network, where you can find the rest of our amazing entertainment-centric catalog. We're talking shows like The Discourse, Be Real, Deep Focus, and so much more, along with more episodes of The Fourth Wall. So if any of that interests you, definitely consider subscribing to the podcast feed. And today, I am absolutely thrilled to be able to bring you a conversation with someone I feel to be an underrated talent uh, in the the industry today. And he's someone who's proved himself to be incredibly versatile, both on the dramatic side of things and in the comedy realm of things. And the thing I love about him most is that he's just more concerned about making cool stuff with people that he admires. And I'm, of course, talking about John Hamm. Mad Men star John Hamm seeks creative fulfillment in more places than the alpha male womanizing life of Don Draper. Whether he's in blockbuster giants like the upcoming Top Gun Maverick or festival titles like Lucy in the Sky, he gravitates towards projects he's passionate about. In the world of television, too, he prioritizes creative alignment over adherence to a consistent personal brand, landing recurring roles in shows like 30 Rock, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and his iconic appearances on Saturday Night Live. Some of the best hosting that show has ever seen, I have to say. As the distinction between TV and film has grown more and more blurred, Ham's versatility has been an important asset. The new landscape of entertainment has freed Ham to pursue a variety of roles. More importantly, however, it has freed him to work with people he admires, like John Patrick Shanley, director of Ham's latest film, Wild Mountain Time, starring Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan. Of his and Shanley's creation, Ham says, It's got all the elements that make Shanley Shanley. It's got this beautiful, magical realism, Ireland is a fanciful place. It takes place out of time. It doesn't need to be in the 60s or the 40s or the 20s. It has no cynicism. It has no snark. It's the perfect antidote to 2020. In addition to exploring rural Ireland's natural romanticism in Ham's newest film, our conversation ranged from being the unofficial mascot of the St. Louis Blues and being a massive hockey fan to what exactly audiences have in store for them in the upcoming Top Gun Maverick, specifically whether 
whether or not he is involved in the new volleyball scene, and so much more. Listen, this was a phenomenal conversation. I truly enjoyed my time talking with John. He's a straight shooter, genuine guy, uh, someone who has a lot of real talent and is just down to earth. So I hope that comes through in this conversation, and I hope you all enjoy my chat with John Hamm. One of the big things that I was really excited about this interview for is because I know that you're a massive hockey fan and I don't get to talk to hockey fans all that often when I'm interviewing people on the circuit. Um, So, well, just, you know, essentially because you become like the unofficial mascot for the, the St. Louis Blues, how, like, has hockey always been a big part of your life or has it like, is it something that you kind of came to later on? Cause I, I don't believe you played growing up. Did you? No, I didn't play growing up. I, I, I couldn't afford it. Um, hockey is one of those really cool sports, but it, it has a lot of gear and you need to, you know, it, uh, unless you're in a real, you know, kind of like, unless you grew up in the wilds of Saskatchewan or, <laughs> yeah. you know, Alberta, and they have, you know, loads of free hand-me-down stuff. It was always hard and, you know, whatever I, I played other sports, but I, I always loved hockey. It was, it was, a it was the perfect kind of combination of elegance and violence, which remains. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, the blues were always around in St. Louis and they were the inexpensive alternative sporting, uh, option, you know, mm-hmm. really, which was, which was kind of nice. You know, it was like, um, I could, I could go put a blues jersey on right now. I have one on the other room that oh, yeah. the Sklar brothers sent me as a thank you for doing their show. It's a vintage Gary Unger jersey. So, Oh man. Oh, that's, that's, oh, that's nice. Did you get, I assume you got one of the, uh, the reverse, the reverse uh, retros. Right. Yeah. I yeah, have that yeah. in the room too. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, so I'm a Caps fan cause I'm originally from uh, the DC area, uh-huh. but, uh, do th- those things like sold out in minutes. I, I couldn't even I couldn't even get my hands on one of them. It was like I, I've never seen a hockey jersey sell out. Yeah, like, it was a good idea. You know, it's like and and you know the Blues one was the, the, those '90s uniforms were controversial when they came out, to say the least. Uh-huh. And uh, the reverse retro ones were very interesting because you know all the sports websites were like best best of the worst and whatever, and, and <laughs> they were like for every other list, they were either the best or the worst. Like it was so I'm like, that's what you want. You want, you want a polarizing opinion. You want something that gets, gets the people talking. So, Oh yeah, no, for sure. I, it, it was sort of like the same for us too. Cause it was like, I, I grew up watching the caps play in like the, the screaming Eagle Jersey. So it was like, it was nice to see them go back to that with the, um you know, with the old colors and everything. But yeah, it was definitely a little, I guess, it was a bold statement to say the least, but right. uh, you know, some of the other ones like with the whalers and the, uh, the, the Nordiques, that was, that was such a smart move on, on their yeah, part. Yeah. To, yeah. I mean, recognizing yeah. the, the, the sort of franchise's history is very cool. And yeah. uh, you know, some people whiffed it. I think the, the Red Wings one looks kind of like a practice Jersey, but the, the yeah. you know, the, the Blackhawks one is a little lackluster, but you know, it's whatever. It's like, it's the, the, the idea was solid, you know, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, anything that kind of gets people excited about hockey, uh, I think is a great, great thing. And, and, you know, for me, like I, I have a picture of the, of the, of, you know, the photo of the team on the ice after they won the cup. And it's like, that's, yeah. that will forever be a memory, you know, you, you know, it too, like when the caps yeah. won two years or three years ago, whenever it was, uh, um, I, it deal. was, 
Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was surreal. It was one of those times where it's like, man, I really wish that I was like back home for that. You know, I was stuck um, in Canada. I was in Vancouver watching yeah. <laughs> the trailer. I was doing a, yeah. a, a, a commercial up there, and uh, you know, I was by myself in a trailer, just kind of like, I can't believe this is happening. And then I got yeah. on a plane the next day and flew to St. Louis and and met the team there and yeah, and got to got to go to the team dinner and 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 got to drink out of the cup and got to party with those guys and it was just phenomenal like the all the i'm friends with more of the my generation of the of the guys although I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm buddies with a couple of the of the guys on this iteration of the team but uh, you know like kelly chase and brett hall and brendan shanahan and and um those guys garth butcher i i, I know those guys because the you know the, the story goes is I, I i used to be a waiter and a bartender in st louis and i used to wait on those guys these oh wow bar. And oh in yeah come in after games and just you know eat four thousand dollars worth of food <laughs> fill the tank you know it was like it's unreal and they're great guys they were great tippers and 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 became buddies you know and uh over over time and and uh and i'm still friends with them so it was it was yeah. such a nice experience for all of those guys to get i mean you know it was it was a fun week to say the least. Yeah, and no, I, I I can't even imagine. I mean, just seeing what what Ovi did when he won the cup, yeah, I think, exactly. is a good I mean, indication. <laughs> well, you know, it's it, you know, everyone's oh, he's crazy, he's Russian. It's like yeah. it's not even that. It's just like that is a that is a lot of steam built up in the boiler that gets released when they finally win, and you, yeah. you do realize it. You're like, it doesn't matter who you are, man. You're working hard for the better part of a month and a half. And those 16 wins are not easy to get. And yeah. it's a real, it's a real accomplishment. Every single one of the guys I talked to from the backup to the backup goalie, you know, to the, you know, role players way mm-hmm. down on the bench. Um, they all had, you know, perma smiles. They just were like, this is the best feeling in the world. And you could tell that they they meant it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why you're able to get along with them so well is because it's like you have that similar sort of work ethic, you know, because you came to your career later in life. And a lot of these guys might like maybe will get that taste of the cup like in 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 their 30s or or whatever. Sometimes it happens earlier, but it's like it's kind of a crapshoot. So, I I mean, I don't know. Do do you think maybe that has any indication why you're able to click with them a little more? Maybe, you know, I mean, I, I think uh, it was, I had the greatest experience. We, we did the whole parade and we drove down and, you know, there's a half a million people under the arch and it's, it's a, it's everybody's in the best mood. The whole town is out and, and feeling good. And yeah, yeah. I was sitting there on, and we're on the banks of the Mississippi river. We're literally under the gateway arch. And uh, I see uh, Chris Thorburn, who's, who's a, you know, fourth liner. He's a, he's definitely a role player. And uh, beloved by his teammates, great dude. He's kind of sitting on the on the levee, kind of looking at the river. And I go over there. I'm like, "What's up, Thorbs? How you doing? Pretty great day, huh?" And he's like, "Yeah, man, really great day." And we both just sat there and kind of watched the river go by <laughs> and talked about, you know, how good it feels and like, yeah, it's, it's such a you know, it's such a cool feeling. And I was like, "Look, I didn't I didn't do anything. I just sat and watched." But you guys must feel really great. And we had the nicest like ten minute conversation. So, oh, that's yeah, amazing. I think there is a lot of like. And he retired the next year. He was like, I'm good. I, yeah. I don't need anything else. That's it. Well, that's the thing. A lot of those guys, when they get to that point, they're just kind of like, you know what? If, if, if it happens, then it's that, that's it. That's, I can't go any higher. And I, I just want to go out on top. So yeah, no, I, I, I definitely uh, respect that, but um, no really good segue into this, but going into, you know, uh wild mountain time a little bit. I, I read that one of the reasons why you were 
really attracted to the project was you were a big fan of uh, John Patrick Shanley's work for the stage um, and, and not just stage, but his other stuff as well. But um, and, you know, you you wanted to work with him for a while. So I guess just I'm I'm curious when you're like looking at someone like that and there's there's someone that you see that you really want to collaborate with in the case of of John, what was it that like really resonated with you about his his work? Um, you know, I had known his name from you know back in the 80s i think moonstruck was the first thing that i knew his name from and i just kind of kept seeing his name popping up in things that i liked and the next thing was a movie called joe versus the volcano which i adored even as a little i went and saw it in the in the uh in the cinema and i remember it was like tom hanks and meg ryan's like next thing <laughs> after like when Harry, uh, not when Harry, whatever, Seattle, Sleepless in Seattle or something. Yeah, they were on a run, man. They were doing like blah blah blah, and they were they couldn't be hotter. They were the it couple for rom coms, and then this movie came out and it tanked like hard. And everyone was this just doesn't make sense and it's weird. And I went and saw it and I loved it. I was like, you guys are idiots. I don't know, I don't know what movie you saw. It's <laughs> perfect. It's hilarious. It's weird. It's specific it's wears its heart on its sleeve and i was like oh it's john patrick shanley like of course like that's that's his calling card is he's you know he's an earnest uh emotional storyteller mm -hmm. and, and 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 then you see like he has the capacity to go from that to something like doubt and you go whoa like okay well that was a left turn uh but then it, it still has the same hallmarks it's like very earnest it has it tells its story in a very specific way um but that kind of magical you know kind of lyricism certainly was was not a part of doubt yeah I saw that on stage and i saw and then i saw the the outside mullingar which was the play that this movie was based on on stage as well and i was just as moved and i just thought this is a beautiful story it's got all of the elements that make shanley shanley it's got this beautiful you know, magical realism. It's got, you know, Ireland is a, is a fanciful place. It takes place mm -hmm. out of time. It doesn't need to be in the sixties or the forties or the twenties or the 2020s. It, it doesn't matter what time it is. It's a story about uh, a boy and a girl and how they can't get out of their own way. And it's, I mean, that's every romantic comedy. It's like, come on, you two get together, you know, mm -hmm. you have to do it, do it for the, do it for us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But in, instead of instead of having you know the, the kind of ugly American character come in and be the antagonist and be the thing, instead he he writes him in such a way that he's a catalyst. He's a he's a person that sort of sees what's going on, and instead of trying to seek his own happiness at the expense of others, instead sort of uses his uh, his perspective to push these two closer together. And and then everybody gets a moment of grace by the end of the film, which is which is another Shanley Hallmark. It's like, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. It has no cynicism. It has no snark. It has nothing that, that, uh, that kind of would lend you. It's the perfect antidote to 2020. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it's just a nice love story set in an absolutely beautiful place with beautiful people doing beautiful things. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's super sweet. And I think it has this really, um, sort of like romantic view of Ireland, you know, it, it is like, uh, 
and and I love how they you know it, it juxtaposes it with like when when uh, Rosemary goes to New York and everything, and then you see sort of like a different side, and then it's like it's cutting back to your love story versus their love story, which is very like sweeping and like magical with like buckets of rain pouring down on them. I mean, it's it's just one of those things that's just like yeah, this is it makes you feel good. It's very old fashioned in in that yeah, regard. I mean, and, yeah. and, and, and it, it it's that's on purpose, you know. It, it's it's uh you know the Ireland you don't have to do much set dressing to Ireland to, to get it to look magical and beautiful. Like yeah. It, yeah. It's uh Shanley would say things like, you know, by the second week, somebody would be go, somebody would go, Hey, look, a rainbow. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so used <laughs> to it. Yeah. I've seen 150 of them. And it's only Tuesday. Like, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it really is that. And, and, and the time we were there and I'd never been to Ireland uh it was all brand so it was all brand new to me um and it does it sweeps you off your feet and 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 these people you know the 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 main character rosemary and anthony in our story are are irish they're not they're not swept it's it's their home it's it is what it is but Mm -hmm. again it's there's 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 thematically there's a bit of storytelling to be to be gleaned from that as well which is like the thing that you're most used to can also be the most beautiful thing in your life. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, again, like it's a lovely message. It's like, take advantage of what's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that again, I think that we're so used to, especially in a modern setting of just waiting for what's next or the bigger, better deal or what's coming down the line or whatever. And then there's a perfectly beautiful, um, option that's sitting right in front of you that's begging you to to choose it and you and you don't see it because you can't yeah well i mean that's the thing i think this whole uh you know horrible situation that we're in is really brought about which is just like being thankful for what you have and then recognizing like what's there in front of you you know um it's just kind of put a lot of things in, into perspective for a lot of people um but I, I do want to kind of move into uh, some of your other works, if you'll indulge me just just a little bit. Uh, kind of kind of speaking uh, to the fact that like people are always after the the bigger and better thing. It kind of feels like that's where like TV has transitioned into, and it, it's it's really. I feel like with Mad Men, it was like a big transition point for television, and you were like one of the. It was like you and then Brian Cranston on Breaking Bad were like one of those last few guys that like got in with the studio uh you know dr- dramatic series on the like, cable television before everything kind of went to like premium and streaming um and so it's like the other interesting thing about that was that like you know 15 years ago prior to that many prominent tv actors probably would have struggled to make the jump uh going to feature films but but now this is kind of the norm and i i kind of just want to get your take on on that whole uh experience well like 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 most things, George Clooney paved the way. Um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. You say 15 years ago, like that was a long time ago, but that's actually when we shot the pilot of Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the it's more like 25, 20, 25 years ago was, was a different world uh, because then you're before The Sopranos, you're before The Wire, you're before kind of the HBO, you know, certain imprimatur that they had. Um, and you're more into the network model. And that's what Clooney came out of in the nineties. Like he, Jennifer Aniston, um, you know, there were, there were people that, that made the jump from TV to film, but it was much rarer. And I think because the, 
the difference between TV and film was so much starker. Um, just the way that stories were told. There were either, you know, half-hour sitcoms, multi-camera. There were very few single-camera half-hours. Mm-hmm. Or there were, you know, kind of procedural elements of uh, the hour-long drama. Courtroom, hospital, cops. Doesn't mean that they were bad. It's just that they didn't really lend themselves to uh, more of a, a feature film storytelling mode. Mm-hmm. What we have now, which is, I think vastly uh more interesting i don't know if it's better but it's more interesting you know i think hill street blues is a great show i think er was a phenomenal show um i think some of the episodes of those shows hold up in the in the all-timers um i put mash in there i put you know taxi i put a you know a lot of the old old timey shows that people uh watch but i think that now we're much more in a world where the the storytelling is is way more of a, of a feature narrative. You have a longer arc, you have a more, uh, a less episodic, uh, uh, way to tell stories. And, and that's enabled, I think, uh, studios and directors and people to look at the actors in there and say like, Oh yeah, that guy could do, uh, this thing. He's not just, he's not only, you know, Sergeant McCoy or whatever he's, he could be this this other person, and I think that we've seen that, you know, happen a bunch of times. I mean, obviously, Cranston is is one. I've 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 done my fair share of films, and um, you you just you just see it all the time. I, I I think more to the point, it's that people see you as um, a good bet, you know, because now people the the line between TV and film is so blurred. It's not, there's yeah. TV fans and there's movie fans. It's like, that's not a thing. Uh, there's just, I hate this word, but there's just content fans. <laughs> um, and, and it's, and it really, it's, it's like, you know, it's like there was a big difference between comic books and graphic novels. And now it's like, well, no comic books are fucking legit. Like, and they're the kind of the same thing. They're just different. They're just different, you know, characters and, and the, yeah. the stories are all, all told in the same way. They're just different. And I think once, you know, once Marvel finally figured it out or once Disney bought Marvel and figured it out and they realized like, oh, these are billion dollar enterprises each and we own 40 of them. You know, it's like, I don't think anybody saw, thought that, you know, Dr. Strange was going to make $120 million on whatever it was. I don't know. Money. I don't even know what the numbers are anymore. It's, they're so inflated and ridiculous, but you know, I, I, I was a comic book nerd when I was in my teens and tens. Like that's how I got my exercise. I would ride my bike to the comic book store. Like that was it every Tuesday. Uh, and, and then just sit and read Thor and Dr. Strange and Daredevil and X-Men. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the cool stuff. And as I got older and like started looking for more deeper kind of stuff, you would get into the, you know, the graphic novels and the dark nights and, you'd start understanding which artists and which writers that you would like. And, and you would get, you know, more into it, more interesting stories that had more layers and, and levels. And, but, uh, but yeah, they're all, it's all, it's all viable kind of storytelling at this point. And, yeah. and I've been fortunate enough to have kind of credibility on both sides of the aisle, meaning I can be legitimately, people think I'm funny or, or I'm, you know, believably dramatic. People, if I say something mean, people don't go, ha ha, when's the joke coming? <laughs> um, they, they'll believe it. But, um, you know, I've, I've also been able to work with some of like my, 
heroes, whether it's Neil Gaiman or, uh, you know, Tina Fey, Robert Carlock. I mean, Lorne Michaels. Like, I mean, it's just I've been able to to be to be in the room with those people and and hold my own and can't ask for much more than that. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think what you're talking about here, which I think is so interesting, is the concept of the we're now in an age where the character supersedes the actor. Um, where it used to be like you needed you needed the actor or the actress to really sell you on like that particular character or that project or whatever. It feels like nowadays people are less interested in like who's playing. Well, I, I take that back. People do care about who's playing who, but it's it's more about oh we get to see this character brought to the screen and less about oh it's uh, you know so and so playing that. And so how does that sort of I mean you you kind of grew up well not grew up but like you you came to the industry in that environment because that was a big reason of why I think you got cast as. Uh, Don Draper and so I'm curious like being like seeing both sides like what do you sort of um, make of how that shift uh, has sort of come about well I think when you have a familiarity with the character you're right you know when it's when it's been established for however many years that you know this is what Thor looks like this is what Daredevil looks like this is what you know then you know it's it's the costume right yeah it's the look the person in it becomes I don't, like you said, it's not, it's not, it's not that it doesn't matter because it does. I mean, you, you, you know, Robert Downey Jr. made Iron Man. I, I, that was, I was mystified by the success of that. I was like, there's no way Iron Man is going to be a hit because he's got a metal thing in front of his face. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. It's literally an unexpressive, you know, panel in front of his face. And they, you know, God bless John Favreau. He did an amazing job of that. But God bless Robert Downey. Like, he made that Tony Stark. It wasn't about Iron Man, it was about Tony Stark. And they figured that out and, and he, you know, obviously knocked it out of the park and, and has been duly remunerated for that. Um, but, um, you know, so there is obviously a sense of that, but the, the, um, the wiggle room in it is significant, obviously, because you can have internet conversations as long as you want about who should be Batman and who should be this one and who should be that one and why and fan art and the whole thing. And, and, and that's become its own kind of cottage industry in, in many ways, which again, I support, like it shows people engaging with the medium. I agree with your statement. Like someone like Don Draper, Don Draper didn't come from a book or or a comic book or a graphic novel or anything. It came from Matt Weiner's mind. Like it was just a total made up construct. And so when Matt was casting the show, he didn't want somebody that came in with a ton of previously held, you know, kind of persona baggage. You know, if if Rob Lowe had played Don Draper, it would have been like, oh, it's the new Rob Lowe movie or the new Rob Lowe show, whatever. It's like it wouldn't be like, oh, what's the show and who's that person and what's the thing and why am I why do I care? So obviously there's two ways into casting things and and bringing those stories to light and i think they're both incredibly viable yeah yeah for sure um i do got to start wrapping it up here but i uh, just a couple final questions for you um just mainly on like future projects you have on the horizon um i know you can't say much about it but obviously you have top gun 2 on the horizon uh maverick which was you know supposed to come out earlier this year before it got delayed um i'm just kind of curious you know what your relationship with top gun was like what it was like being on that set working with like just two massive creative forces in Tom Cruise and Joseph Kaczynski. Um, and yeah, just like, you know, yeah, well, I, like... I would throw Jerry Bruckheimer in there as well. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it was amazing, you know, and I, I like anybody my age, I was, I was probably 13, 14, 15 when that came out. 
um, somewhere in there. So basically on the bullseye of the target demographic of that, of that uh, movie and was, you know, was blown away by it. It was an, it was and remains an awesome movie. And Tony Scott basically made a, a commercial for the, for the Navy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, I, and I talked to a lot of guys my age in the Navy and they were like, you know, that's the reason why I wanted to join the Navy. Like it's, and I could point to like 80 other guys that that was the same point. Um, so it was pretty, it was pretty cool. And, and, um, coming at it, at, you know, in my forties and seeing like, seeing all the toys and all the stuff and all the gear and it's, it does this, it hits the same dopamine center in my brain. I'm just like, you start salivating for some reason. You're like, Oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> um, and then to, I, I, you know, to work with Tom is to work with one of the legends in our, in our industry. I mean, it's, it's, he's literally been famous almost as long as I've been alive and he's a wonderful guy. He's, he's as friendly as the day is long and he is a, the hardest worker you'll ever meet. And, you know, he's first on the set and he's the last to leave and he gives 110%. And it's, that's how, that's who you want at the top of the list. Number one on the call sheet. Uh, I've, I've been number one on the call sheet and I've tried to, you know, do my version of that. And, and it takes a lot out of you. And Tom's been doing it for going on, you know, 40 years mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's been doing it at a very high level. And, he he commits and you can tell that this is a project that he deeply deeply cares about and i saw the finished product and i'm tremendously proud of it i think i think people are going to really really respond to it and really dig it yeah uh, i mean i i'm i know i'm looking forward to it for sure uh, can you confirm are you in the volleyball scene the the next volleyball <laughs> scene that everyone's hyping up <laughs> uh adjacent i'll say i'm in it adjacent all right fair enough i know I, i'm definitely looking forward to all that stuff but listen john thank you so <laughs> thank you so much for your time i really My really pleasure. appreciate Thanks talking for the conversation i do appreciate it yeah for sure take care Well, there you have it, guys. That was my conversation with John Hamm. Hopefully you all enjoyed that as much as I had uh, chatting with John. It really just super casual, super relaxed, and um, just a real salt-of-the-earth guy. So I, um, I, I, I had a great time with that one. And if you want something that's just a nice, light, fanciful escape, it might be exactly what you're looking for. So uh, give it a watch. But the most important thing is I want to hear from you all, and I want to know what your favorite John Hamm performance is down in the comments section of wherever you're listening to this episode. Be sure, as always, to subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network so you don't miss out on another episode of The Fourth wall and the rest of our amazing podcasts that we have over there trust me whatever your fix is we definitely have you covered and if you want to go an extra step and you really want to make my day and everyone over here at the playlist really happy it would be amazing if you left us a rating and a review as it greatly helps the show out helps us get noticed and it allows me to know what you're all loving and what you want to see more of it feels like i've been teasing this next one for a while now but my next conversation will be with the creative brain trust behind pixar's soul which spoiler alert is currently my favorite favorite film of the year and so you all have that to look forward to next monday and i can assure you it will be well worth the wait so definitely uh you know keep an eye on the podcast feed so you don't miss out on it but lastly guys if you like me specifically and you like what i have to say you can give me a follow on twitter at griff schiller all right that's gonna do it for this interview guys and i will catch you next time take care